Good morning. A Great Commission Church, that is what's needed in today's society's world. And we cannot just sit around and do nothing after the Lord Jesus Christ has saved us by faith and by his grace. This church has been the biggest example in my life of a Great Commission Church. This church has been the biggest impact on my life in the past four years. Although I've only been going to Red Cross Baptist Church for about nine months now, the first impact the church had on my life was four years ago when I was a freshman at West Stanley High School. When my science teacher was out for two weeks for, because of a medical issue, the school didn't find a substitute. Instead, they sent our class of about seven to Mr. Leto's class. Aside from the constant confusion of having to switch teachers in the middle of the semester, there was something different Mr. Leto in Mr. Leto that I had never seen someone with a passion to teach annoying freshmen for so long with. And sorry if there's any freshmen in the room. Those two weeks made me excited to come to class, and that was my first glimpse of a Great Commission Christian. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is what we call the Great Commission, which says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. I didn't know how passionate Mr. Leto was for the Great Commission until some of the Red Cross youth who also went to school with me invited me to FCA, which gave Mr. Leto a different position in my life from a former teacher, which I had for two weeks because my teacher was out, to a mentor. Mr. Leto, for the next four years, would help guide me through scripture and disciple me in my faith. And I knew that Christ was behind everything that Mr. Leto had done in my life. Constantly this year, I've heard many of the seniors say that Mr. Leto was the one teacher who they had never had, but had a lasting friendship with. Now, Mr. Leto would get up here and tell you that, just as I'm going to say, that I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's Galatians 2.20. None of what Mr. Leto has done in my life would be possible without the work of Christ in his own life and the discipleship from a church that had the right focus. When I started attending Red Cross Youth in late spring of 2020, I started to see an entire body of youth who were being discipled in the same way that I had been for the past four years. I started to see the mindset of a church that truly was and is a Great Commission church, a church that leads each other in the faith and sends people out to disciple others, other brother sisters in Christ. To sum things up, I could have never gotten closer with God in the ways that I have if it wasn't for the mindset that this church has. This church is truly about the Great Commission, and I am grateful and would like to say thank you for that. Thank you, Brandon. You can head back to the front. 
Um, good morning. I'm going to be reading Psalm 127. If you guys would please stand for the honor of God's word. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it in labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of the anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Thank you. you may be seated. Before we dive in today, let's turn our attention to the Lord in prayer. Please pray with me if you will. Heavenly Father, God, you are good, and your goodness is seen here today in, in your word, Lord, and your children, God, and this opportunity to come before you, Lord, and just bask in your goodness, God. Uh, Father, we freely admit that we have no good apart from you, Lord. We're so thankful for your work here in this church to use us in some, even in some small way, Lord. We're so humbled to be a part of that, God, that great privilege of taking part in the Great Commission. Father, I thank you for the leaders in this church, God. I thank you for your work in um, the Sunday school teachers, God. I thank you for your work in, uh, through uh, just Vincent and Sarah, God, and their time to, to volunteer in the youth group. I thank you for the parents, God. I thank you for the children that you have, have entrusted us with, God. I pray, Lord, that as we turn our attention to your word, that it would speak to us, God, that, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to speak through me today, that you would empower me, Lord, to speak clearly, God, with what, but with conviction as well. Father, I am a man of unclean lips, and I stumble over my words, and I just want to speak clearly, Father, and concisely, but with also conviction, God, your truth. Father, your word is truth. There's no truth found outside of it. So as we turn our attention to it today, please bless these efforts. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, the title for this message is uh, Biblical Blueprints for Constructing Arrows. And we will be in Psalm 127, so hope you're there. So I want to give a disclaimer. Oftentimes when we talk about children or, or raising children, um, people zone out who don't have children. I want to give a disclaimer. This message is for parents. This message is for students, but it's for the entire church. So every single person in this room can benefit from being in the word of the Lord this morning. The main idea is that God has given to us Building blueprints, you know, with that construction theme, needed to craft arrows, but it's only found in his word. So basically, the church can prepare their arrows for flight through their heavenly father's instructions found in his word. There's three points I want to make today. The first is that God warns us about the pain that comes from pointlessness. That's when we build apart from these blueprints. The second point is that he shares with us the pleasure from his promises. And that's the joy that follows obedience. And lastly, God gives us the passion for the purpose. He works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I want to open today with a true story. Back in 1979, there was a passenger jet carrying roughly 250 people from New Zealand over to a flight seeing flight to Antarctica and back. 
See, unknown to the pilots, there was a minor, just two-degree error in the flight coordinates. And this shifted the aircraft nearly 30 miles to the east of where the pilots had intended. As they approached Antarctica, the pilots descended to a lower altitude to give the passengers a better look at the landscape. And even though both of the pilots were well-seasoned veterans, having several hours behind the cockpit, they'd never made this particular flight before. They had no way of knowing that the incorrect coordinates had placed them directly in the path of Mount Erebus, which is a volcano that rises more than 12,000 feet above the frozen tundra. Tragically, the plane crashed into the side of the volcano, killing every single passenger on board. It was a tragedy brought on by only a minor error, a matter of only a few degrees. I've learned this week that experts in air navigation, perhaps Mr. Troxler can speak to this, they have a rule of thumb known as the 1 in 60 rule. And it states that for every one degree a plane veers off its course, it will miss its intended target by 60 miles. Or, I'm sorry, by one mile for every 60 miles it flies. So this means that the further you travel, the further you will drift off of your destination. So a small error can have devastating consequences if it's left unchecked over a long period of time. For example... If you veer off course by just one degree, after 100 yards, you'll miss your target by five feet. But after a mile, you'll miss it by 100 feet. If you veer off course by just one degree while trying to fly around the equator, you'll miss your intended target by over 500 miles. The point here is that small actions accumulated over a long period of time can make a huge difference. As in the story we have just read, this is actually a matter of life and death. And parenting, which I'm going to refer to today as raising up arrows, is no exception. You may be thinking to yourself, well, we're talking about children here and not airplanes. But as we have just read in the Word of God, the Lord compares children to arrows, and they were both meant to fly. Please remember this correlation. Remember that that 61 rule, that 1 in 60 rule, because we're going to refer back to this at the end of the message. So let's compare children and arrows just for a minute. If you're like me, most people, when they think of arrows, they envision something that they'd find at Bass Pro Shop or Academy. They think of a machine manufactured, well-polished and put together fiberglass arrow with a razor-sharp broadhead on its end. But the arrows the Bible we're referring to in this time period looked very different. You see, the shaft was made from wood or a stiff reed. The tail was often fashioned together with the feathers of a hawk or an eagle. And the head was made from sharpened flint, rock, or even bone. Molding these arrows by hand was a tedious process. It often required careful time and attention. If mistakes were made with these arrows, they would fly off course and potentially have devastating consequences. Having proper arrows often literally meant the difference between life and death. You see, arrows had two main purposes. They were to be used to protect or provide for households and villages. 
They were often seen out on the battlefield during times of war or out on the game lands as they were implemented in the hunt. Missing an intended target would mean the difference between life and death on a battlefield or feast or famine in a home. This is why great care was taken in the crafting of these arrows. And hunters and warriors went through great lengths to sharpen them, to straighten them, to strengthen them on a daily basis. You know, hunters and warriors, they desired arrows of the highest quality. Therefore, they sat out, they sought out the very best. You know, we would do wise to learn from their standards of care with our own arrows. Children are a lot like arrows. They too have to be straightened out. They have to be strengthened. They have to be sharpened. We don't want them to fail under pressure. We don't want them to veer off course just after takeoff. But the question is, well, how do we do this successfully? How do, what, and what tools should we implement in this process? You know, something that's really overlooked in a lot of homes is that this process has to take place before a flight. It's supposed to happen while they're still at home in the quiver, so to speak. I mean, can you just imagine for a second trying to snatch an arrow out of midair? Can you just imagine for a second trying to correct its course once it's been fired? You know, today marks the launching point of some of our own arrows here at Red Cross. It's quickly becoming time for them to leave the quiver fly off the bow, and to go out into the world and fly. It's time for them to do what they were always intended and designed to do by their creator. They were made to soar. They were made to go out into the world and to protect and provide for their own households. But most importantly, and what's often forgotten, is that they were made to go out and help advance the kingdom of their coming king. You know, if we were to take an honest look at some of the arrows in our nation today, we would be soberly reminded of the fact that much of them, if not many of them, are not ready for this flight. In fact, a recent survey found that half of all children ages 18 to 29 are still living at home with either one or both parents. The vast majority of those numbers are males. Another CDC survey released just this August, it looked at how the pandemic is affecting the mental health of young Americans, found that 75% of children ages 18 to 24 repeated, or I'm sorry, reported at least one adverse mental health side effect or symptom. 25% of the people completing that survey told told them that they honestly, seriously considered suicide over the past 30 days. Startling, this rate of suicide among youth aged 10 to 24 increased 60% between 2007 and 2018. And this is a trend that is only fearfully predicted to get worse as newer statistics roll out. Church. Something is going horribly wrong in our society. And it's time for the church to awaken and do something about it. It's time for us to respond. Maybe you're asking yourself, well, hold on now. This, why is that a church issue? We're dealing with American secular statistics. 
Well, let's look at just one more. This one will hit a little closer to home. An article taken from Lifeway Research found that two-thirds, that's 66% of American young adults who once attended a Protestant church regularly as a teenager now no longer do so as soon as they leave home. Brothers and sisters, we are missing the mark with our children. And the church desperately needs to correct its course. This is a problem that will only get worse if it's left unchecked over time. You know, we have identified several problems within our society and world around us, but it's time for us to turn our attention to the Holy Scriptures and hear of God's solutions from His inspired and holy word. Let's read Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2, just one more time to refresh our memory. And by the way, this is point number one. Point number one is our Father warns us of the pain that comes from pointlessness. This is what I like to refer to as building apart from his blueprints, these biblical blueprints found in his word. Verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Church, Psalm 127 starts out with a warning. It warns us of the pain that comes from our futility of doing anything apart from Christ. If you're wondering, well, what pain are you talking about? Ask yourself this. What happens to a house that's built in vain? It collapses. What happens to a city protected and watched over in vain? It falls. In both instances of working apart from the Lord, destruction and great loss follows. The Word of God is calling out. It's warning us for the potential, if we're not careful, to suffer great loss. In verse 1, we're told over and over and over again, unless the Lord builds the house, or unless the Lord watches over the city, those who work and watch do so in vain. Verse 2 states that it is in vain that we rise up early. It is in vain that we go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for God gives to his beloved sleep. The word tells us that we can work with these arrows starting early in the morning and exhaust ourselves all throughout the day with our own efforts. We can even work late into the night and do so all in vain. Well, what does this look like? In my humble opinion, this is exactly what this looked like. We can implement program after program after program and take them to event after event after event. And in light of eternity, it will not make a single bit of difference. You will look back on it and count it all as loss. Programs and events like t-ball, swim team, soccer, drama, and dance have taken the place of discipleship in our homes. It has taken the place of family worship and the assembling of saints. 
in our society today, spending time together in God's word is practically unheard of. There are families in this very church this morning that are failing to follow God's commands as outlined in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He tells parents, especially fathers, to teach the things of God diligently to your children. Trust me. I know because at times I'm one of them. I struggle with these same commands. At times, I'm guilty of investing more time in other people's children than I do with my own. And if you were to ask us, why do you fail to do so? I bet we would respond with this. There's just not enough time. As if we honestly can't make time for the one who made time. Think about that statement. We really can't make time for the one who made time. How foolish can we be? Please hear me say this. Programs and events can be good things. I hope my own boys get active in some sort of extracurricular activity one day. But when good things become ultimate things, they become destructive things. The Bible refers to these as idols. And idols lead to spiritual death in our homes. Church, we don't have to eat the bread of anxious toil. God has already provided for us our daily bread. He has given to us of his own body the bread of life that was broken for us. He has given to us the word of God, which is the nourishment for our soul. So tell me, is your family starving for something more? How often does your household partake of this meal? Are you really going to tell me this morning? Well, hold up there, buddy. We came today to feast on the Word of God. And my response was, praise the Lord. I'm so glad that you did. But how weak must our families be that only feast on this Word once or twice a week? May we repent of eating the food sacrificed to idols eating the bread of anxious toil. There's a better way already provided. God offers us a seat at the table. He gives to his beloved rest. Do you remember what Jesus said to the crowds who followed him back in John chapter 6, verse 27? If you want to turn there, you're welcome to do so. I'll read it out loud for you. I love what he, tell, what he tells them. He says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. I absolutely love the next part of this passage. If you're feeling this today, if you're wondering this question, here it is. They asked the Lord, Jesus, please, tell us, how can we make sure we get this thing right? In verse 28, look what it says. They said to him, Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? His response is this. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Parents, guardians, brothers and sisters within the church, 
It's time we center every single aspect of our lives around Christ. Just as the center of the solar system is the sun, and it gives life to the entire world as it revolves around it. If we were to drift off into pursuit of another, death and destruction and darkness would soon follow. Our lives are the same way. We must center every single thing around the Son of God. So how can we get God to build our homes or watch over our cities? I believe step one is to be up in a position of humble disposition. We have to recognize our dire need for Christ. We have to seek Him and search for Him on a daily basis. James 4.8 says, We are to draw near to God, and He will draw near to us. Graduates, hear this. Truth be told, there are many people in the world who are building their hopes and their dreams and their lives and their aspirations apart from the blueprints of God found in His Word. And then they sit back and they wonder when they look at it, why did it all crumble? It never even had a chance. We forget the architect. We ditch the blueprints and we get to work building our own kingdoms on the shifting sands and fleeting pleasures of this world. Graduates, as you set out to build your own lives, never forget this well-known story of the wise man who built his house upon the rock and the fool who built his house upon the sand. What happened, church, when the storms of life came and they beat against those houses in Matthew chapter 7? Christ says that everyone who hears my words and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rains would fall and the floods would come and the wind would beat against that house. But it would not fall. Why? Because it has been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them or who does not do them That's a big distinction to make. Hearing is not enough. Everyone who does not do the word of the Lord will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell. And great was the fall of it. This is why marriages fail. This is why nations crumble. This is why your future will be futile apart from the work of Christ in your life. Too many parents in this nation are foolishly more concerned with their students' GPAs than whether or not they understand the gospel. The fool in his heart says that there is no God. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. Perhaps you might be saying, well, hold up there, buddy. I say that there's a God. And my response would be, well, you do. That's awesome. But do you live like it? Can your children tell by your actions that you do? Titus 1, 16 states this. They profess with their mouth to know God, but they deny him by their works. 
Too many parents are more concerned with their performance, with their children's performance in sports, than whether or not their children know the Scriptures. 1 Timothy 4.8 says that bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every single way. It holds a promise for the present, but also for the life to come. I hope we can remember this. When we get to heaven, it doesn't matter if we know how to score an 1100 on an SAT. It doesn't matter if we know how to hit or throw a curveball. All that matters is that we know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and not just merely know of Him. Guardians, it is not my job. It is not Pastor Jesse's job primarily to make sure that they know Him. Biblically speaking, the vast majority of this responsibility falls on your shoulders. If I'm honest, it makes me sick. I have seen this nearly every single day over the last seven years. Some of our children are so mixed up in school. Some of them are so lost. We sit back and wonder how and why could they be so confused. They don't know their own gender anymore. They don't know their own sexual orientation anymore. But I can tell you why. It's because they don't know the Bible anymore. It's because they don't know their own Savior anymore. They don't know who God is or who He has made them to be. What's wrong with the world today? I'll tell you what, we are. We sit back in our complacency and we let the world tell our children what the Word of God should. A gospelless society is a godless society. Well, who is called to get the gospel to the world, church? We are. It's the same problem the world has always faced. It's sin. And it's the same solution offered well over 2,000 years ago. It's the gospel. This will bring us to point number two. Our Father warns us about the pain from pointlessness, but He, off, he also offers us pleasures found in His promises. This is the joy that flows from obedience. So yes, there is a great pain and a great loss that you will endure when you build your life apart from Christ. But there's hope for, for us today. We're made for so much more. This is not the path that we have to take. There's a better way. There is great peace and pleasure that flow to us from His promises. Look in verse 3 of chapter 127. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. May the church proudly proclaim this morning that children are a gift from God. They are a reward from our Redeemer. Guys, I know raising children is hard. Trust me, I know this. I'm a father, I'm a youth pastor, I'm a teacher. 
There are days when I get home from investing in other people's children, and the last thing I want to do is disciple my own. But there are also other days when I come home and I see their warm smiles. I hear their cries of daddy, and they run to me with open arms, and that verse has never felt more real. Children are a blessing from the Lord and never meant to be seen as a burden. We have to address this lie in the church. If we believe that they are a blessing from the Lord, and we believe that this is of massive importance for us to disciple them, then why is it that churches have a hard time finding volunteers for children's ministry? Why are there countless children right now waiting for homes and orphanages? But it's not just the church. There's a war taking on right now over words in our court system. I want to share with you guys a little excerpt from CNN published just last week. It says, alarm bells are ringing loudly about the threat to reproductive rights. The Supreme Court has just agreed to review an abortion ban that will unquestionably violate nearly 50 years of Supreme Court legislation and is a test course to overturn Roe versus Wade. Well, we've got a little bit of news for CNN 10 today, don't we? The church has their own alarm bell to sound. There is even another higher court that our governmental officials will have to answer to one day. And there is a law that has stood from millennia. Children were given to us from God as a reward. They were never meant to be handed back over to the world to be destroyed. We have handed our children over to the world to destroy for far too long. And I'm talking about both before and after delivery. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we may be required to render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but we need to take a stand and no longer render to Caesar what rightfully belongs to the maker of all things. It's time for the church to take back its children. It's time for us to let God build back our homes. the world can no longer lay claim to them. They rightfully belong to Almighty God. They were made for Him and by Him. They even bear His image, to which He says, Mine. So church, teach and disciple other people to know this, to know who God is and to know who He has created them to be. Families, especially fathers, Start spending time together in God's Word. It's, it might be time for us to let the Redeemer remodel our homes. It's time we get our priorities back in line with His promises found in His Word. Yes, the world may try to take from us and cause us to experience great pain and suffer great loss, but God gave His Word to us, and it gives us great gain unending joy and pleasure forevermore. Consider promises like 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. I believe it expresses this truth very well. In God's divine power, He has granted to us 
all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sin. This will bring us to our third and final point this morning. He gives to us passion for the purpose. Philippians 2.13 says this, It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The last two verses of Psalm 127 says this, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He will not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. If that is true, if we truly believe the word of God and we properly see our children as arrows in the hand of a warrior, we need to realize something. As we have just thoroughly unpacked today, Unless the Lord is involved in this process, every single thing we do is done in vain. No matter how pretty they look, how polished and sharp and straight these arrows may appear, they are only as good as the warrior whose hand they are in. It will not do them a single bit of good if the one who is holding them has no clue how to shoot that bow. It doesn't matter how prepared we try to make them. If they are aimed in the wrong direction when they are released, it will not do them a single bit of good. I know some of us, including myself, have failed to properly raise up our children. Maybe our parents failed to raise us up ourselves. Perhaps we were neglected and aimed in the wrong direction but I have saved the best news of all for last this morning. It's true. Once these arrows are released, we cannot stop where they're headed. But I know someone who can. No matter what sins or shortcomings or mistakes we have committed along life's way, forming or shooting these arrows out into the world, there is one who planned ahead. He stood directly in the path, this destructive path that these arrows were headed, stopping their sinful course with his own flesh. Listen to how the scriptures phrase this in the book of Isaiah. Christ was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we may be healed. All we like sheep, maybe even arrows, have gone astray. We have turned aside every one to his own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Do you remember that illustration I told you to remember in the beginning of the sermon? that rule of navigation, that 61 rule. 
The average human being takes around 7,500 steps a day. If you maintain that daily average over the course of 80 years of life, you will have walked over 215 million steps. If we do the math and convert this to miles, it's 110,000 miles. Assuming we're only off by one degree, we've just missed one little spot here in this, this illustration. And using that 61 flight rule, this will lead to an error of nearly 2,000 miles. To put things into perspective, that's the difference between landing in North Carolina and California. But if we miss this message today, I promise you it's going to be a whole lot farther than that. It's going to be the difference between heaven and hell. So to the parents and guardians in the church, do you want to see your children prepared to thrive and soar throughout this life? Start by recognizing that it is your primary responsibility to prepare these children. Parents are the true student pastors of their home. Lead your flock, your congregation, to the cheap the chief shepherd of their souls. Hand them over to the master carpenter who came to bleed and die for our transgressions. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And spend time daily with your families in worship. You know, family worship really isn't that difficult. Just remember three Ps. Number one, spend time in prayer together. Pour out your hearts to God, asking Him for His favor in your life. Number two, spend time in the promises together. Saturate your mind with Scripture on a daily basis. Study the blueprints for building. Because in them, you will also find the tools needed for your craft. And lastly, spend time in praise together. Sing songs of worship to God. He is good and worthy of all praise. I know you know I'm a school teacher, and some of y'all may have been done with school for like 20 years, but I'm about to give you a homework assignment. And I'm serious. Take out a pen or paper right now. Please write this down. Tonight, after you come here, Pastor Jesse preach, or maybe even tomorrow, if you're serious about doing this the right way, I want you to read, pray, and praise through Isaiah chapter 49 together. Write that down, Isaiah chapter 49. It parallels this message perfectly. I promise, if you do this as a family, you will not be disappointed. To the church, raising children is difficult. You've heard it this morning when my, when my own child had to be removed from service. We can't do this on our own. Part of God's biblical blueprints involve us coming alongside of them and supporting them along the way. It's not complicated. Start by praying for parents. Pray for students. Maybe even offer to give those parents a date night away so that they can catch their breath. How about this? Sign up directly after service to serve in Sunday school 
or Wednesday night so that our children actually have somewhere to go to be discipled. Lastly, maybe pray. Perhaps even pray that the Lord would allow you to consider opening up your own home as a quiver for some arrows. There are a lot of children out there who need a home, an adoption. Yes, there is a great need. And yes, it will come with some burdens. But God promises us the rewards and blessings will be even greater. Lastly, to the graduates, to the future graduates, I want you to know and remember this. This church, Red Cross Baptist Church, loves you. We praise God and pray for you daily. We praise God for the parents. Seriously, we have some awesome parents and we have some amazing students here at this church. Many of them already know, follow, and affirm everything that was said in this pulpit today. But students, our hopes for your success in this life, they don't ultimately rest in your hands. They don't ultimately rest in your parents' hands. They don't rest in my hands or any other. They ultimately rest in our Redeemers. And we hope and trust in Him for your future. We are looking forward to seeing how and where God uses you for His glory and for our good. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. It is perfect. We thank you, God, that it is able to correct us, to teach us, to instruct us in the ways of righteousness, Lord. Father, we sin and we fail daily. That's even where the, this word sin came from, missing the mark in archery. But Lord, we entrust our arrows into your hands, God, the hands that were pierced for, for when we were led astray. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of knowing you, God, for your grace and your mercy and your love that made it possible. Father, may we leave here and be like the wise man who built our house upon the rock, who hear the word of the Lord, but also do it through the Spirit's empowerment. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.